Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So um, this morning, um, I'm going to talk about the trap of special. The trap of special. <clears throat> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> some of you do, some of you don't. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I'm going to use a quote from Deshaun to try to get there. <clears throat> Um, so for those of you who are in the physical space here today who have a program in front of you, you'll see the quote. For those of you online, you can just listen to what I'm saying. Um, this is a relatively easy one to find online, too. So. Zen Master Daishan tells us, realizing the mystery is nothing but breaking through to grasp an ordinary life. Say it again, because it feels like it wants to be repeated. Realizing the mystery is nothing but breaking through to grasp an ordinary life. It sounds like kind of a Zen thing to say, doesn't it? It also feels to me like one of those things um, that you get and go, oh, I get it. Good. I have met my dharma requirement today. I am, I am free to go to the beach. Um, <clears throat> I read this in context. Um, it's actually part of kind of a long, relative, a relatively volatile Taisho that uh, Deshan gave um, arguably one of the crankier Zen passages I have ever read. Mm. So I have therefore read it many times and <laughs> enjoy it thoroughly because he's accosting all of his monks for even being in a zendo and listening to old scoundrels like Buddha and horrible pirates like Bodhidharma. And he's doing one of those Zen things that Zen teachers like to do from time to time, which is tear the whole thing down and say, get out of here. You're wasting your time. This is ridiculous. And right in the middle of that little temper tantrum, Realizing the mystery is nothing but breaking through to grasp an ordinary life. So, um, what I feel in that is the tension in me between the idea of realizing the mystery, which sounds awesome, and ordinary life, which doesn't sound so awesome. And I notice that I really want one of those things. And I notice I really don't want the other one of those things. And that one of those things sounds very special. And one of those things is the least special thing there is. Right? Seven and a half billion human beings right now have an ordinary life. I don't want to be ordinary. I want to realize the mystery. Oh, you know that Busho, he really realized the mystery. Can you feel it? I mean, oh God, I get juicy just thinking about that. <laughs> think of how special I would be. Think of what that would make me. Can you imagine what that would mean about me? <gasps> Can you feel it? I'm dialing it up here a little bit <laughs> for comedic effect because that's what I do. It helps us to see the split. But can you see the split in that sense? Can you see the split in the teaching? He's showing us this is something we all have. I mean, he's talking to a group of 
monks, which makes it worse in a way because he's talking to a whole bunch of people who have already bit the hook, right? We all bite the hook. Of course we do. This is the human deal. This is the human deal. If we don't use practice to try to get special, we're going to use money. We'll use our looks. We'll use our age. We'll use our athletic ability. We'll use our intellectual prowess. We'll do something. You sure don't want to be ordinary. So that's really the Dharma. That's really the teaching here about how we have a tendency to do that. And so the invitation is to see that. To see it. I love the word grasp in this sense because it doesn't feel to me. I mean, this has been translated into English, right? But I love the word grasp in this particular case because usually in a Dharma setting, grasp is a bad thing, right? It means attach and cling and own and, right? You can kind of feel like, oh, grasping mind. And, you're trying to get something, like gaining idea and all that sort of stuff. But here, realizing the mystery is nothing but breaking through to grasp an ordinary life. Grasp to me feels more like really deep connection to touch it all the way to touch your life all the way to understand your life all the way that understanding can you feel that's the realization there's the buddha bit so it isn't a rejection of ordinary life nor is it a rejection of realizing the mystery but it's an invitation for us as practitioners to try to marry those two things and to see the not two of them instead of continuing the split that we all do, right? The, the desire to rise above. So, okay, I did write a talk. I'm going to now try to get to that talk. Uh, about a year ago, so this is, I think this was about a year ago. I think this was about a year, about a year ago because it was the heart of COVID. We weren't doing any in-person um, stuff at any of the places that I am connected to. About a year ago, I led an online retreat, a Zen retreat, and I was feeling very cranky from the very outset. I just was in that place as the retreat was starting, kind of normal. It was 6.55 p.m. on a Friday evening, and I was opening my laptop and opening the Zoom app and logging into the retreat link to join the other dozen or so Zen students. We would sit together for about a half an hour. We would do some orientation announcements, address any logistical concerns, and then we're gonna jump into a silent meditation retreat that would last until that Sunday evening. And I don't remember why I was cranky, but for whatever reason, here's how it showed up in my thoughts. We're just people sitting still. That's nothing special. So calling this a retreat is pretentious and stupid. <laughs> Can't we just sit here and not be caught up in the idea that we're doing some big, important, special thing? Calling this Zen is stupid. You can see I'm cranky. <laughs> this is the way thoughts work, right? I hope I'm not the only one in this room or, okay, I'm seeing nodding. But as the retreat leader, I was supposed to say something welcoming and encouraging. And so I tried to be polite and leave my crankiness to myself. I was not successful. Instead, I ended up saying something like this. <clears throat> Welcome! <laughs> I am grateful to you all for being here and for your practice. We are fortunate indeed to have this time. We are here to practice together, to support each other in the simplest possible expression of our life. Sitting, 
walking, eating, resting. This is a contemporary retreat, and so we leave all the extra stuff out. No fanciness, no formality, no robes, no chanting, no liturgy, no orioki, no bowing. Nothing to try to remember, nothing to try to do correctly, nothing to do wrong. Even the words retreat and Zen are extra, so you can leave them out. Why do we have to call a bunch of people sitting in silence a retreat? Worse still, the word Zen. I'm getting angrier as we're going. Can you feel it? I started off pretty good. I'm starting to slip. This is like a confessional. You guys are all my confessors. You're all in a room full of priests. Why sully this simple activity <laughs> with all of the confusion and expectation and ideas and beliefs and baggage that come with the word Zen? It sounds too pretentious, doesn't it? Too special. Like it's trying to make something simple, lofty and grand and sacred when we're just sitting down, shutting up, and paying attention for Suzuki Roshi said, this is me calling upon my teacher's teacher for a little moral support, right? Like, I'm not the only one, right? That's what we do. Somebody else said it, too. And this is true. This is a quote. Suzuki Roshi said, even the word Buddha is already a stain on our practice. Isn't that awesome? He must have been on a cranky mood that day, too, right? Like, oh, yeah, well, that's cool. We get to talk to people when we're cranky. What we're doing is too simple to have a name like Zen. Drop it. You can let go of all of your false gods. Don't try to do anything. Don't try to attain anything. So I'm really not super mean here. I'm certainly not off the party line. This is something that Zen teachers have been saying forever and ever and ever in their own way. But this is me kind of starting off saying, hey, please don't get in your own way is really all I'm saying. Right? The grasping that comes up, this is the downside of grasping, the shadow of grasping. The grasping that comes up in our hearts and in our minds when we start something like a Zen retreat is pretty common. I don't know anybody who hasn't had it. That idea of, okay, here we go. You can feel it, right? Ramping up. I'm gonna get, you can feel it. Like I'm constricting. I'm getting smaller. I'm wanting to grab something. I have an expectation about what this is going to be and what it will mean about me. Can you feel it? This is what we do, right? This is what all of us do. So it's just a sense of, oh, right. I'm being given the invitation to drop that, at least to see it with friendliness, so it can loosen a little bit. That's all. But by the time I'm done with my little section here, I've heard myself use the word attain, because I said, don't try to attain anything. Oh, man. So now I'm going to trigger myself, <laughs> because that word always sends me right up the flagpole. Right? <coughs> attain. So now I'm even crankier. I'm going to get even a little further off course. I promise this is almost done. The word attain is often found in Zen literature, often in relationship to enlightenment, which is a pity because it does not belong anywhere in Zen. At best, attain is an unskillful translation, and at worst, it's a complete misunderstanding of the very heart of a beautiful tradition. What definition of attain could be of any use to us? Succeed in achieving? reach or arrive at, to possess. You can kind of feel how like outside, 
those definitions of attain make perfect sense. In this space, you can hear it, right? Possess, own, reach, arrive at, succeed in achieving. And like, ooh, yeah, I can feel it. Wow. From a Zen point of view, none of those will happen or can. Our teachers say no gaining idea, so please throw out the word attain when you find it. It will only hurt you. Attainment is Maya illusion. Attainment is a false god. It must be sacrificed at the altar of your awareness. And sacrificed at the altar of your awareness just means to see it for what it is, and then will soften and disappear. So at that point, I was wise enough to take a deep breath. <clears throat> and then I ended my welcoming remarks. Remember, these are welcoming remarks. <laughs> They're even called welcoming remarks. They're certainly remarks. I will get 50% credit for at least making remarks. We need only practice resting in awareness. An awareness that is kind to whatever arises, whatever shows itself, to whatever is. The schedule for this retreat was crafted for us with great care. So there are no decisions to be made, nothing that needs fixing or solving, nothing to attain. Please let us keep this time together stupid. Let's keep it grounded and human, and let's just do simple things together. Um, those, <laughs> those poor retreatants got both barrels for no good reason. Um, but the good news is, uh, no one was scared off and no one quit. And we actually had a really lovely few days of silence. And what was interesting was because I started by saying what I said, um, when I met with people during the course of that retreat for practice, meeting to know one-to-one, -one, um, a lot of our conversations went to the place this talk is which is our awareness that much of our grabbing is about trying to rise above. Sitting still doesn't sound like a special thing. What'd you do? I got up this morning early, set my alarm early so I could get up, sit still and do nothing. Doesn't sound good. I'm not going to brag to my friends about that. I set my alarm early, got up early and did 30 minutes of Zaza. Oh, <laughs> very same thing. Two different words, one of them sounds kind of special. I'm not suggesting we don't say zazen, right? So everybody relax. But can you feel in me, there's just a little bit of a, when I call it a retreat or when I call it zazen, of course I'm going to call it those things. It's appropriate to call it those things. The extra part, the part that I can leave behind is the And the fact that I'm doing a the gribbing, the gribbing, the gribbing, that's a combination of grasping and I don't know what that word is. I've just made up a little bitey. That comes from a place in me that imagines and needs that. Tuka, there's the suffering. Oh, that's the part of me that needs attention. That's the part of me that needs attention. Can you feel that in yourself? Right? The part of me that needs to be special is the part that imagines that it is not valuable. Oh, there's delusion there and there's suffering there, which means wisdom is required and compassion are required. That's the medicine that the Buddha gave me 2,500 years ago. 
When you notice suffering, please feel it with compassion. Please relate to it with compassion. When you see delusion, please relate to it skillfully with wisdom. It's all super, super simple. Wow, how beautiful it is to follow that breadcrumb trail. And by the time I see the little light going off on my little mental dashboard of, ooh, I'm going to do something special, I get to go, oh, I bet if I follow that wire all the way back down in, I'm going to find a place in me that's hurting. That's all. This isn't me failing at something or being bad. Do you kind of get that? It's just the invitation to see that if you follow the trail, you will find your hurt and that you can skillfully relate to your hurt. That's grasping an ordinary person's life. So if Deshaun is not lying to us, that's what he is saying is realizing the mystery. That's how simple that is. Just recognizing all oh, human pain. I'm needing to try to get something right now, which must mean I imagine there's some inadequacy or break in there. There must be some fault in there. Oh, maybe if I move toward that with some kindness and some understanding. Do you feel it? How in that moment, ordinary person and Buddha are the same thing? There's just the one activity happening there. There's just suffering being met with kindness and delusion being met with wisdom. That's it. That's it. Wow, no failure possible. That's so beautiful to me. Thank goodness this tradition has been handed to us so carefully for so long so we could see this incredibly simple thing. Otherwise, we'd miss it. At least I would. I'd totally miss it. I would totally miss my ordinary human life. I'd start thinking of it as ordinary human, and I would believe that, and I would therefore reject that, and then I would therefore want to be something more than ordinary human, and then boom, I'm off to the races. Wow. This has been handed to us so carefully to make sure we don't miss it. To make sure we don't miss it. So, 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 so. Um, what I am grateful for in that moment, and the reason I actually made some notes to myself after my remarks, was I said, you know what, I'm a little cranky, and I can see where the cranky is in me, and I can see where it comes from. But I also realized as I was saying it, you know what, there's some good stuff there. There's actually some good stuff there. I should probably write that down in case there's a setting in which I would use this. Um, anybody who ever has to sit here and give talks from time to time has a little part of their brain. I'm speaking for everybody as if we're all the same, but I'm going to pretend as if we're all the same. I'm going to pretend because the people who have had to give talks in the seat, I always start nodding at this point. There's a little tiny part of your brain going, ooh, I could use that later. Oh, hey, I like that. Ooh, that sign in that shop. I should write that down. I could use it for a Dharma talk, right? Oh, I love that passage. I should be like it, right? It's just part of how teachers work. It's cool, right? I thought to myself, some of what I said was actually helpful. I should probably write some of this down. And so what I'm looking back on with some gratitude is that some of my crankiness had a clean fire to it. Some of the fire was dirty. It was about me. My own stuff. I'm getting cranky and feeling pretentious, so I'm judging that. I'm projecting. That's what people, people do, right? But I also recognize, like in the Deshaun quote, when you read his passage, if you Google it, you'll be like, wow, that's a guy who was really, really, really cranky. Yeah, I don't know him, so I can't say how much that was <laughs> clean fire and how much wasn't. But there was a lot of good stuff in there. So I heard a phrase once, um, and I wish I could remember who said it, but I want to say Katagiri, that's what I have in my head. 
So I don't know if that's true. This is how the lore of a sinner gets passed on. You make something up, you don't know who said it, you imagine it was that person, and after a while it becomes something that's like written over the door in gold scripts. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the saying is, don't put frosting on the frog. Which is just awesome. It's just fun to say. It's full-on ridiculous. Don't put frosting on the frog. So let's pretend that Katagiri Roshi said, don't put frosting on the frog, because it's a cool thing to attribute to him. And it's a wonderful symbol for something extra, something sweet and sticky and extra. You can feel frogs don't need frosting. <laughs> I titled this talk, Frosting and False Gods, because frosting and false gods are the same. We do not need to put frosting on the frog. It's another way of saying another thing Zen teachers are famous for saying a lot of, which is, it's extra. That's extra. The idea that, nope, that part was extra. You were good up till that point, and then that's extra. That's the part you don't need. Sit still. Pay attention. Good. Special that's the frost. Just stay with the frog. Stay with the frog. Normal activity doesn't need to be elevated. Normal activity doesn't need to be elevated. I feel like Zen really tries to get that. Don't you think? As part of Zen retreats, you might get assigned to work in the kitchen, sweep the back porch, dust the stairs, clean the toilets. All those are included. And then the bell rings and it's time to go back into the zendo. And then it's time to eat. And then it's time to take a break. And then it's time to take a walk. And then it's time to sit still. Can you feel how all those are on a level playing field? That's the spirit of the Zen retreat. All those are zazen. All those are the most ordinary things human beings do. Eat, walk, sit, rest. But all of those moments are worthy of your complete devotion. And therefore, the idea that one of those would rise above and be special and one of them would drop below and be profane itself, that distinction becomes the profanity. No, no, no. Please don't pay deep attention to the zendo and then stop when you leave because now you're going to go cook and that's a profane activity and not worthy of our attention. Can you feel the splitting in that? It's very common for all of us to do this. It's why we have sacred spaces, right? Why we have sacred gestures, sacred garments, sacred words, sacred scriptures. Right? There's something, I mean, this is what human beings do. We immediately set something apart. And I feel like we need to do that. I actually feel like we have a deep psychological need to do that, to show the magic, to show the specialness, to show the amazingness that human life actually is. But then the invitation is once you've seen that, you realize, oh, that's the nature of everything. Right. That's the nature of everything. I get it. So we still have a zendo and an altar, and we still have gestures and names and garments, of course, right? But the idea isn't to continue the split and actually believe 
that this room has some sort of magical mojo that the DMV doesn't. Because it doesn't! It does, but it doesn't. Do you kind of feel how we'll get caught? The reason this is so important for all of us, and the reason I think Zen hits this so hard so often, is if sweeping is the everyday activity, then I don't need to pay attention to it, and it becomes a non-special moment. And even though it's just as part of my life as sitting zazen, I've just decided it doesn't matter. It's a place I can spit. And if I have that tendency of mind, and if I have that tendency of heart, which I do, now I can have non-special people. I can have non-special countries. I can have non-special cultures. I can have non-special... Can you feel where this goes? Everybody knows where this goes. It all goes back to that little tiny place that wants to separate and go above. Separate and go above. Separate and go above. I'm special because... Wow, can you feel it? That's the part that scares me. When I start thinking there is an ordinary, non-special, profane, mundane, our, language, our vocabulary in this language is full of words that mean average, ordinary, something, you know. I can start treating it like that. And the difference between there being a non-special moment or a non-special place or a non-special activity and a non-special person is just like that. This is to me. So you can feel, oh, no wonder, no wonder, no wonder this tradition wants us to see that very, very, very carefully. So, um, I'll read something from the Blue Cliff record. We need somebody else's voice here. So this is from case one. For those of you who know the Blue Cliff, Cliff record, um, case number one is the interchange between Bodhidharma and Emperor Wu. In Japan. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. Doesn't matter. This is just the verse that Sensho wrote to comment on the koan. The holy teaching? Emptiness. What is the secret here? Again, no one stands. Who stands before me? No knowing. So he's making reference to the koan. <clears throat> and now he's off to the races, Sensho says. Inevitably, the thorns and briars start springing up, and secretly by night he crossed the river. All the people could not bring him back. Now so many years gone by, still Bodhidharma fills your mind in vain. Stop thinking of him. A gentle breeze pervades the universe. A master looks around. Is the ancestor there? Good, bring him to me and he can wash my feet. Oh, man. There's a whole retreat there. That's so awesome. <laughs> I just think it's really cool that we're part of our tradition where, like, the commentary on the case makes fun of the case. And then the person who does the commentary on the commentary immediately was like, that guy had no idea what he was talking about. No, 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 no. That there's just a lot of good natured, at least it feels to me good natured, like, no, no, no. So here he's saying, yeah, stop thinking about that guy. He's gone. It's very much in keeping with where we started. It's very much in keeping. If he shows up, he can watch my feet. You bet that's strong medicine. If Bodhidharma shows up, please have Mr. Holy Pants wash my feet. That's actually an invitation to communion, and it's a beautiful thing. It isn't 
the disrespectful admonition that it appears to be. But we also have somebody named Daio Koshuki who wrote the following, perhaps being inspired by Secho. These three lines of poetry have taught me so much about the way human beings relate to scripture. I wish I had learned this when I was just a child. He said, wishing to entice the blind, the Buddha has playfully let words escape his golden mouth. Heaven and earth are ever since filled with entangling briars. That's it. Oh, man. Like, this guy was just trying to help. <laughs> so he playfully let words escape his golden mouth, wishing to entice the blind. Like, they couldn't see, so he had to use words like, oh, I'll do Dharma with my mouth. And then, oh, whoops, I knocked over that first domino, didn't I? Ever since entangling briars. This is a playful verse. It's actually quite sweet. But you can sort of see this is what we do. This is what we do. So describing the scripture of his own tradition as entangling briars. What a mess we make with our simple truths. What a mess we make. <clears throat> Don't put another head on top of your own. Is one of the lines in the Zen initiation, the Jukai ceremony that we do here at MZMC. I think that's probably in most versions of the Soto translations here in the United States. Please do not put another head on top of your own. It's one of the last things said in the ceremony. Does some of you remember that? Some of you who've been through? Initiation, yeah. It's a funny sentence, isn't it? Don't put another head on top of your own. Don't add. Please don't add special. Please don't put frosting on the frog. Please don't use this tradition to try to make your ego bigger. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. It'll hurt you if you do. It'll hurt others if you do. Please don't think this makes you better. Please, 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 please don't think it makes you better. Please, don't do that. That's the creation of Dogo. We're vowing together today to not do that. So please, don't do that. Don't insert the ego. We observe the ego with the part of us that's not the ego. Special is ego, we observe it with the part of us that's not. Does that make sense when I say it that way? I'm saying the same thing again, just a different way. Notice the functioning of the, ah, I want to be big. Right, I see you. I see you, Mara. I see you. Do you feel it? I see you. I can grasp the ordinary person's life. That's part of an ordinary person's life. Here he goes. Oh, yeah, there you are. I bet you think you need something. I bet you think you're wanting and broken. I can take care of that for you. No problem. I've got you. It's fine. There's the extra head, just see it. Plus, even if we could insert ego, even if it was actually possible to do that in this process, and even if we were to get something for it, all of our ego's effort, all of our ego's fancy words, even if our own personal zazen during our Zen retreats was especially awesome, 
it wouldn't help us attain anything. We cannot engineer enlightenment by ourselves. Anyone and everyone I have ever met in my life who has actually woken up to some degree, even a little, has always told me without a shadow of a doubt that they know they are not the ones who orchestrated their own opening. That's interesting to me. That's just anecdotal evidence. But my gut tells me that that's correct. If I met somebody who did a really long session and they had a beautiful opening experience and they had, wow, big Ken Show experience and I was talking with them about that after the session, how did it go for you? I had this really big opening. My ego self just dropped away and there was no separation between me and everything. Oh, that's really, really beautiful. And I did that all myself. Because <laughs> that was me, baby, and I kick ass. You be like, oh, right. Oh, sweetie, keep coming back. Can you feel it? There's never a sense. Even if you could somehow bring that ego into the zendo and actually get some traction with it. Best posture in the room. Smartest one in the room. Tallest one in the room. Most cross-legged in the room. I don't know. What's our currency here? <laughs> Most exacting Oriyoki ritual. Special, special. All right. I'm going to wrap up. <clears throat> My own Zen teacher, Tim, reminded me often. I'm saying reminded in the past tense, although he still continues to do it. But I'm looking back on a certain um, phase of my training when this came up. This special thing came up for me a lot. Still does, but it came up for me a lot, and I didn't have the tools then to work with it. And so Tim reminded me often of the phrase, we are in training to be nothing special. We are in training to be nothing special. He told me to stop trying so hard to be a good priest. He told me that a lot. Just be a priest, he would say, and leave out the frosting of good. And then when I was ready, he said, now you can leave out the frosting of priest. And I was like, ooh, ah, oh, can you feel it? I had some work to do. I have some work to do. I want the frosting. When I was a kid, if my mom said, oh, who wants the big rose in the corner of the cake? My hand shot up at unbelievable speeds. I could throw my shoulder out of the socket because I said, like, you can leave the cake part out. I'll just take the frosting, you know? It's hard to know. Like, I didn't come here for the frog. But then to be repeatedly handed the frog, I was like, come on, man. Do you not understand the pact? And he was like, I actually do. That's why I keep giving you the frog. Please stop putting frosting on it, right? And I remember meeting him once in Dokasan. <clears throat> this was formal, so he was wearing his okesa. And I remember him grabbing the corner of his brown okesa and saying, I guess this makes me a Buddhist. And that's fine. But actually what it seems like to me is this we're just two guys sitting on the floor talking. He gave me exactly the same teaching that Deshaun did. He gave me exactly the same teaching that Kai Okoshuki did. He gave me the exact same teaching that Sesho did. 
he gave me the exact teaching he got. He said it to me over and over and over in a hundred different ways. Doesn't it just seem like we're two guys sitting on the floor talking? I don't want to be two guys sitting on the floor talking. I want to be meeting with a Zen master in Dokusan because that's got frosting. Oh my God, there's so much frosting. Can you feel it? I'm getting a sugar rush even saying it. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Deshaun. Thank you to everybody who's ever said, please trust your frog. Your frog is fine. Even the word Buddha is already a stain on your practice, Suzuki said. And then he went on to say, please put yourself in the time before Buddha appeared in the world. That's Zazen instruction. Please put yourself in the time before Buddha appeared in the world. I have no idea what he meant by that, but that feels very, very thematic, at least the way we're talking about it today. The frog before the frosting, right? The playful golden mouth before the entangling briars. If you meet Buddha on the road, kill him. They say in Rinzai, we don't say that in Soto so much, but it's the same teaching, the same thing. Something extra, something special. Please let that go. If everyone is included, what about my specialness? If everyone is included in enlightenment, how can I be enough? It is hard for us to trust our own frog. It is hard for us to actually believe and to actually feel that our little frog is enough. It is hard not to add frosting and to dress it up and to want something more special. It is hard to just sit. I think this is a lesson that it takes a lifetime to learn. I think it is a dharma that takes a lifetime to embody. So to close, I'm going to quote Suzuki one more time. A simple sentence that I know many, many of you have heard which takes this teaching to me to its ultimate expression. Suzuki Roshi said, just to be alive is enough. Just to be alive is enough. And I can't improve on that even a little bit, so I'll end there. All right, thank you. Um, I was relatively well behaved, so we have some time left if uh, people have questions or comments or um, frog-related poetry, cake-related poetry, I guess, whatever you'd like to throw into the room. Please. Yeah, I just, I just have to say I really liked the line that you did there. Uh, I don't know who said that, but in the case, um, put yourself, please put yourself in the time before you do it. Suzuki Roshi. Awesome. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Suzuki Roshi gets credit for that one. That's really beautiful teaching. Yeah, I hear you. Julian. I get to talk. You're welcome. Kind of pull someone together and learn somewhere else about how you feel fear or whatnot. So call for love or action. Yeah. 
in the non-disclosure. It was done in the name of the grandmother. That's that's the one who knows and you know provide compassion, wisdom, obviously, and what's more normal than a grandmother was more special than a grandmother. Yeah, that's awesome. Did you guys all hear that? What's more normal than a grandmother, and what's more special than a grandmother? Julian said that. That's really good. A, a grandmotherly mind is one of Dogen's terms that he talks about in the in the instructions for the cook and um robai shin is the word and it's um soft front strong back soft front oh sweetheart come on compassion right strong back of because mm, no you're not having cookies for dinner can you feel it wisdom that's beautiful julian oh uh <laughs> First Steve, then Jay. Steve. Okay, so um, I say if you're trying to deflate blue read, you know, it would be very hard to do. It's to deflate blue read. Either as music or in person, but I just think it works as music. And and there's something special about Blue Reed's music. It's a musical genius. So it seems to me that um, and American culture has this sort of silly, incessant, false, special deflation of all sorts of things that ought, ought to actually be prized and esteemed. And, uh, and you see that on advertisements. And so it just seems to me that we're somehow you're trying to fuse a kind of leveling and deflation that maybe gets confused with the false sort of refusal of excellence and the potential for excellence and all sorts of things. Could easily be done. I think the difficulty in Lou Reed's heart would be if he imagined he was worth more because he was a musical genius. Well, I think he, the reason he he gives gave concerts was because he imagined his music was worth listening to. So mm -hmm. I don't, and he certainly didn't invite other people to take his place at the microphone. So mm -hmm. again, I think there's a, a, I think there's a bit of a compulsive need to deflate where actually what we need to do is prize. And as Americans, Americans were kind of interested in that, and then it becomes sort of knee-jerk and, and default. And, and for example, the way that we now swear all the time, just just incessant cussing. It's like, well, really? That's somehow sort of this special authenticity that we're, that's, that's taken us, that's attained for us this authenticity that we didn't have in the time of our grandfathers or, or fathers. <clears throat> Our mothers. Our, well, our swear words lose their power. Right, because we need a special swear word, and, and we can't deflate that, that curse. You make sense to me, Steve. Mm -hmm. I hear you. <laughs> Jay. I was trying to do the same question. All right, I had a feeling it was going there for some reason. <laughs> For some reason, when you give talks, I just feel like I'm a bit annoying, so I apologize. 
For those of you at home, we're talking about the f that this teaching of nothing special has a flip side. Um, and well said. Really, really well said. I think that's great that he said that about the Lotus Sutra. Oh, Suzuki, what a troublemaker. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that there's even a question or even an answer that I can offer, but what I can see in myself is what it feels to me like happens from this seat is the teachings that feel the most needed are the ones that are offered. And what it doesn't feel like is that all you need to hear, this is a special building. This is a special practice. This is an ancient and holy and sacred practice. And this is an ancient and holy and sacred garment. And all of what I just said is true. But you already know that. And so in this setting, what seems more pertinent to me is to say, please don't imagine that this means something about you, because now you're better than your fundamentalist Christian neighbor, and we have a problem. I have seen people at concerts get into fights, physical fights, about who the best drummer in the world is. Is it Neil Peart, or is it John Bonham? <laughs> Can you feel that that wasn't about who the better musician was? Can you feel that that was about something else? Can you feel that I am more likely to run you through with something if I imagine that I'm a better person than you are? All I am pointing to, because you are absolutely right, it's not special enough. All I can speak to is for my own aching human heart that says, all I can see in me is the potential to do that because it comes up in me. I'm a Neil Peart guy, and I really think he's the best drummer in the world. I can feel my ego self is just attached to someone else's ability, and I've made it mean something about me. And in order for me to do that, there must be some part of me that imagines that it's lacking, or it wouldn't need to do that. I wouldn't need to even assert my opinion if there wasn't inside me some part that had already bitten the hook. Do you feel it? I don't get in arguments anymore about whether or not Zen is better than Theravada or better than Christianity or better than Judaism. I just don't. I mean, number one, it doesn't come up a lot in my life, thank God. I do a lot of interfaith work. We actually work on the opposite. But the point is, at one point in my life, I would have. I say that with humility. I say that with a pretty significant sense of shame. When I was joking earlier about I came here for the frosting, I was not lying to you. It was a funny thing to say, but that is why I came. Does that make me a bad person? No, it does not. It means I was an aching, hurting, split, ashamed person who was looking for a way to get out of that. That's all. 
And the reason I won the lottery and the reason I feel like all of us won the lottery is because we happened to stumble across this beautiful tradition that said, please look at the pain that gives rise to that thing. You are correct. Everything is special. It's special beyond all human comprehension. That's why we bow when we leave the Zendo as well as when we come in. But if nothing else, the exposure to something incredibly beautiful and deeply wise and really, 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 really sacred to me is there to offer me the invitation, please see the rest of your life this way. I really believe when Zen says there is no place to spit, that they're not just saying everything is the same. I think they're saying, please don't do that thing that humans do that causes so much pain when you think that there's a place to spit. I can't play the drums like John Bonham, but please don't spit on me. Do you feel the difference? That's how it shows up for me. So I don't know that I'm helping here at all. I'm probably not. You're going to say this way better when you're sitting here, Jay. <laughs> but, you know, that's okay. Ribbit. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I'm sorry. Owen, one last shot and we'll go. Yeah, okay, so self-esteem. Yes. Right? So you don't want to make things super special and stuff, but you also don't want to like downplay or minimize. Yeah, that's a amen. That you're doing. So how do you find that middle ground? Oh, what a great, does that make sense to everybody? Did everybody hear that? Owen is asking a lovely question about self-esteem. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm on the clock here. So, um, yeah, in my head, that's a very different category of just like healthy ego self. Like, yep, I'm good. It's cool. I fit in. Yep, everything's fine. I'm safe. Okay, I'm growing up. Good. Now I can start working on, I mean, the reason we're talking about it the way we are is because we're in a Zen center right now, right? The assumption... The hilarious assumption for 2,500 years, this is hilarious to me, it's tragically hilarious, but it's hilarious, for 2,500 years is, oh, since you're involved in spiritual aspiration, your ego must be in great shape. You've already figured all that other stuff out. Your material needs, you're good on that part of Maslow's hierarchy. And ego, yeah, 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 good, got all that settled. Now we're going to start working on that high part of you know, wisdom and transcendence, self-realization, and you know that kind of stuff. So the assumption being, oh, God, yeah, no, no, you've got to already be in a pretty good egoic place for your teacher to say you're nothing special because that is the medicine. But at the wrong stage of your life or at the wrong stage of your development, that would be devastating. I would never give this Dharma talk to a two-year-old. <laughs> Maybe the frosting and the frog part, they would like that, wouldn't they? But no, you're making it perfectly. That's a really, really good. Because this, you're right, it's not about it. But what I do notice is the difference between self-esteem and the ego tendency to go, I'm either above or below. You ask that perfectly. I'm either above or below. I'm either better than or worse than. At some point, that's a really good thing for even a healthy ego to look at and go, oh, and we might go see a counselor or a therapist for that kind of stuff. Yeah. But since everybody in this room and everybody online has already done decades of extensive psychotherapy <laughs> and all of you are already completely integrated in all of those ways, <laughs> now we can do Dharma. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you, everybody.